Okay, fantastic. We are live. Welcome, everybody. This is Brian Altunian, co-host of Just Two Dads. Welcome to our weekly podcast where my friend, my business partner, my colleague, my partner in Thrive, Mr. Sean Francis, and I get together and we talk with phenomenal uh, guests about the, the world of special needs community and how the work that they're doing is furthering the effort, expanding our village, and just doing amazing things for our special needs family members. Uh, we find that the conversations extend so far beyond special needs that it's impactful and hopefully helpful for, uh, for a lot of families. We're trying out some new technology, so we've got a little bit of a new look today. We're trying some new stuff out, so um, thank you for, for, for joining us. We are live on Facebook Live right now, and uh, we'll, this will, recording will be up for a while on Facebook Live and then in various podcast outlets around, uh, <laughs> around the world, if you will, Apple and Google and, and uh, live on, um, on WSTX AM radio in the U.S. Virgin Islands as well. So if you're tuning in, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, thank you for following us and, uh, and participating. Please give us comments. Um, ask us questions. We're going to try to capture the questions and actually ask them during the show. So feel free to, to, to let us know and uh, we'll talk with our guest. Um, I think you're going to find uh, the content that she's going to share with us interesting, compelling, and you're going to be thankful that there are people like Susan out there in the world um, advocating for our children as they become young adults and transition to the next phase of their lives. So um, I am, as always, I'm honored uh, to be a part of this conversation. I love the work that we're doing. Sean and I get to be on camera, but no less important and definitely um, incredibly significant is the person you don't see. And that's our friend and our producer, Sean Hall, who is in Hawaii and he does all of the work behind the scenes to kind of keep us on, <laughs> keep us on track and on pace. So Sean Hall, we love you. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. And the folks that tune in regularly, thank you all. We love, uh, we love to have you. And, and again, loved your commentary. And, and please share with as uh, many people on on Instagram and Facebook and social media throughout. We wanna we wanna give a platform for the for our guests to be able to share what they're doing with as broad an audience as possible. So Susan, we're gonna we're gonna introduce you in, in just a second. And uh, before we do, I just wanna say hello to to, to Sean and uh, and my my good friend Sean, who we've had such great fun having this conversation. And really, we joked about this that we we really were just two dads, just chatting about the challenges that our children have in the various stages. My daughter is 25, um, now lives in upstate New York, and is, is now married and 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 thriving. And Sean's son is is still in his mid-teens, so in high school now. And so the challenges that we have faced as as fathers of special needs children, and uh, not just the challenges, but the opportunities and the life affirming activity that having a special needs child gives to us really makes us pay attention and it makes us focused. And, and we heard something today on a, on, a, on, a, on a company event that I love that I wanted to say, um, look, and there's my daughter saying hello. You guys can't see her, but my daughter's on, is, is, on, is on Facebook and saying hello. So there, I get to show it. Look, there she is, hello. This is new technology, I love it. Um, but today, Sean and I are, 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 we're convinced that we are on somebody else's errand while we're on this planet. And so uh, we continue to do Good work and uh, and do things to expand the expand our community and our village. And so we're pleased to have you here, Susan. But Sean, Sean Francis, how are you, my friend? Feeling good? I I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, each week, it seems like it gets better and better. The people that we get to um, have on the show, as we tell our guests when we have conversations with them, um, to sort of. You know, 
book them as guests. We tell them that the show is just two dads. We're the co-hosts. But essentially, when the people are here, when the guests are here, uh, it is their show and their opportunity to have light shine upon them to make sure that we're adding value to uh, everyone that listens, wherever they may be over the various platforms that we're on. And the topic we're going to cover today, because I'm going to jump right into it, um, is one that many of us ask. Um, I think because I've had the question in mind is exactly why this lady crossed our path. And that question is, there's several of them anyway, but they revolve around the same thing, which is, if you're a parent to a child with special needs, will my child go to college? Should my child go to college? And when you know you look at various situations, um, you know whatever that answer is, can I change that? You know what can I do to make that happen? And the lady that we will be talking with today is someone who specializes in bridging that gap, not not coming up with the answer, but helping you find it. And that is none other than uh, Susan Woods. Susan, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really really excited to be here. Um, like I say, I happened to fall upon your show uh, last week, and uh, I've been following things since then. So I'm really, really excited to talk today. Excellent. We're excited that you're here. <laughs> All right, Sean, you, you, Sean, we're, we're freezing a little bit. Are you? Uh, we we talked about this before. We 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 always have technological issues on this show, so that's all right. And this is the new world, right? The new world of 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 being uh, of being. Um, we have to be agile uh, because we're live. All right, I think we're. I think he's coming back. I can feel him, Sean. You there? That you. All right, you're gonna, He's going to catch up. I promise you. This does happen, so it does catch up. So Susan, let's start with this. Give us a little bit about your background. Let us know how you got started, because what you're doing now is is an extension of what you used to do. But um, but talk about how and why you're you're um, a part of this community and a part of this village. How did that okay. whole that whole well, As many of us, we, we like to talk about ourselves, but I like to give right. you a little bit of my my pathway. Um, and I say this to my students, I'm an adjunct faculty now um, as a semi-retiree, but I do an introduction to my students and I talk about our pathways. And one of the things I do disclose is that we all come to these careers in different ways. And mine has some very personal connections. Um, I have a sibling with a lifelong disability, chronic mental, mental illness. Um, I'm also the um, child of, my mother's no longer alive, she would be 105 by now if she was, but she was an educator. And I was not a very uh, talented student. I happened to fall into a college situation where I started tutoring, um, actually, believe it or not, on a, a Native American reservation in mm. Long Island. Nobody believes that there's a Native, Native American reservation in the Hamptons, but it was there. And I started tutoring um, middle schoolers in, with learning disabilities as part of a college course. And all of a sudden, I realized these are my people. Mm. And I went on and I realized that I needed to get, go to a school that had a little bit better um, sort of variety. And so I transferred to Boston University to major in special education. And then I went on and got a master's in uh, rehab administration. But one of my first jobs out of college, when there was none, was I worked at a uh, institution. Um, it was called Fernal State School. Back then, it was called um, a state school for the mentally retarded. We don't use that word anymore. Yeah. Thank goodness. But from that, I got involved in the whole process of deinstitutionalization and the development of community programs and vocational training. And my background was now in special ed and rehab. And I got some good jobs. 
and I got some good jobs working for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts as a policy analyst. And I did some great work with developing community programs for people that had formerly been isolated in these horrible institutions. That from there, things changed. I had a couple kids, life went on, and I ended up um, working at a community college. And I was working in an alternative program for individuals with cognitive, what we refer to as cognitive limitations and people on the autism spectrum, providing vocational training on a community college campus and a certificate program. Um, my life changed, things grew. They kept um, saying to me, well, you're doing that, you're doing okay with that, why don't you try this? And so when I finally became an administrator, I was the Associate Dean of Student Support, I oversaw disability services for about a thousand students with documented disabilities, two alternative programs for individuals with autism and intellectual disabilities, and then a lot of support programs for first-generation low-income um, and students that were considered high-risk. It was a wonderful career. I had a very full plate. I worked constantly. My stress level was really high. <laughs> Three years ago, I decided, yeah, and oh, and in the, while I was still an administrator, I also was asked to be an adjunct faculty. So I've been teaching developmental disabilities um, as an adjunct um, at two community colleges, been teaching face-to-face -face and online, and that was sort of a side gig. And then three and a half years ago, I said, yeah, you know what? I'm eligible to retire. I think I'm going to retire. And I thought a lot about how to change things up. And the way that I changed it up and reinvented myself is that I developed a consulting practice. Wow. Um, so in addition to teaching as an adjunct faculty, I also do training. And most of my training and um, work that I do with K-12, with teachers, with families, focuses on transition to college. Because that was my lifeblood for 27 years, is how to support individuals who may have been on an IEP or a 504 plan, how to help them prepare to be successful in a college atmosphere and with the rigors of college. So sure, that's wow. my back story. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's yeah, that, that's a lot of and Sean, Sean, you're back, and I know that you can you hear can you hear us okay? You can, right? Okay, good. Yeah, yes, you're back. I yes, can feel yes, you. Yes. I feel you live, man. It feels good. I, I, I see you. <laughs> so, so, so the great thing is that is that is that Sean's son Elijah. This is a perfect timing. So I, I have a feel like Sean's going to ask you a lot more questions because it's like it's like right on. And one of those is is like, should our children go to college? Right? Should they make that that venture? And, I, and again, I want to take that question away from you, Sean. But the, that's definitely a, a critical question that some parents are facing, right? Yeah, and it's not just the question. Um, you know, you know. Well, let let's start with that because if we're not careful, I'll I'll have the avalanche of questions come through because it's, absolutely because I think it isn't just a matter of asking that question. Um, I think most people don't even ask the question to begin with. They kind of decide, you know what, it's going to be too much. He's not ready for that. That he that would be very very difficult, and it gets um, becomes a challenge to decide what is easiest for you versus best for your child. Uh, so let's start with that question and elaborate from there. Um, should, how do you determine whether or not your child should go to college? Because you have that parent that's unrealistic and optimistic versus what can be done with some work versus that which is very obvious to do. So how do you you know, determine which one that is? And, and I guess the, the first response is it depends. 
So college experiences. Um, I remember my own college experience. Um, again, my almost 30 years has been involved in community college, which is a, a different model for some than perhaps a selective um, res residential life university. Um, but the great thing is there's um, a lot of movement and a lot of initiatives that provide opportunities. So I'm going to answer that question in a couple ways. The mm -hmm. first is, one, it depends on your son or daughter. Um, you know, is this a dream? Is this something when they're sitting at their IEP meetings, and hopefully they're sitting in on their IEP meetings, yes. Um, yes. that... That when case. they talk about vision, when they talk about dreams, when they talk about where do you see yourself, and hopefully those conversations are happening, um, does this enter into their, their thinking? Um, do they have siblings that went off to college? Should they see themselves um, going to college? That being said, the other bigger question um, is, is college right for your son or daughter? The great thing is there's a lot of different variables that can play into that. Mm -hmm. I do value very much what that IEP team, what that um, high school team is saying in terms of readiness. That's right. important. Um, but be, again, there's a lot of different models out there. So I think there's, there's some hard questions to ask. And then there's a lot of um, reality. And a lot of that reality is what I talk to families about a lot. And that is, um, I use the, <laughs> I'm a little bit glib when I say you're not in Kansas anymore. When, yep. I, when somebody comes onto a college campus, mm -hmm. um, there are some major differences. Um, whether we're talking about an individual with an intellectual disability, we're talking about an individual on the autism spectrum, we're talking about an individual perhaps with a learning disability or attention deficit disorder, um, or neurological, mental health, or even, you know, like I say, a health-related um, students that might have Crohn's disease or diabetes. Um, there's a wide range. Um, and some of the big takeaways from that conversation is that, um, basically, the IEP or the individual education plan or that high school 504 plan ends once a student leaves high school. Right, right. That, right. Document, that law is no longer valid. IDEA that we know, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, ends. But the good news is, again, we're not in Kansas anymore. There's another set of laws that come into play. And so what happens on a college campus, and we're talking whether we're talking about your local community college, which oftentimes most community colleges, they vary state to state, are open admission institutions, meaning anybody with a high school diploma in most cases can walk into a community college or roll right. into a college versus a highly selective university. And I'll use my alma mater. I'll use Boston University as an example. Whether they're going, they're thinking of either one of those things, all colleges, and here's sort of the, 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 the big takeaway, any college university that takes even a penny from the federal government, mm. and that would be financial aid, mm -hmm. must comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's the ADA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other law that they have to comply with is called Chapter 504 of the Rehab Act. Okay. So basically, every institution must provide access, and access is the key word there. Um, so different than an IEP process, 
In a college university, what happens is the student is admitted to the college or university and then begins a process of identifying that they have a disability mm -hmm. and going through the process, which is a great interactive process of requesting accommodations. So one of the other questions I often get is, so do I disclose my disability when I'm applying to the college? So mm. bottom line on that is college universities cannot discriminate against individuals with disabilities who are, who are otherwise qualified. Right. right. So right. that disclosure in most cases does not happen until after the student has been accepted. I see. Hmm. So because of because of concerns or, or apprehension. Okay. <laughs> They cannot be discriminated against by virtue of their disability if they are otherwise qualified to attend that institution. Okay, so you've answered, you, you answered a question that I had not asked but was thinking, which I think is more important, which is how do you arrive at determining whether or not college is a fit, which is equally important. My other question is, the next question is gonna be selfish with the hope that somebody out there listening is going to arrive at the same thing. Our son is 14. He was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. He's verbal. He can tell you there's certain things that he's very capable of telling you exactly what he wants. Um, certain things that he's more challenged in expressing with in terms of desires. So when you were talking about the IEP, he's been present, but he we know what he's drawn to and what he likes. We have no idea necessarily what it is that he wants to do. So for us, the question is, how do you how do you think that gets discovered? How do you pull that out? Because for us to to answer that question, whether or not college or higher education is some kind of fit, it was like, well, what would he want to do? And so we have a conversation. You ask him, but it's almost like you have to put other things in front of him. What does he respond to? We're trying trying to figure that out. So for a parent like me in that situation, hopefully somebody else out there listening is in the same um, spot where would you shine a light to try and reveal that which is in the dark? <laughs> well, again, it's a process, but I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of college students, and I don't know anybody else who's listening, who sent kids to college who did not have a clue. And I was one of those. Um, That's true. <laughs> I did not have a clue. The great thing is um, there's a few steps that can be taken um, while your son's in high school, while any kid's in high school. Um, the first thing, again, is the conversation with, with the team. Um, every state, the United States, has some uh, version of vocational rehabilitation, mm -hmm. uh, an agency whose responsibility it is to support the employment, ultimately, of individuals with disabilities. Okay. Many, many, many state vocational rehabilitation agencies, each one has their own, um, you know, state name, um, can do assessments, can do a vocational evaluation um, while the student is still in high school to determine, you know, areas of interest, but also areas of strength. Um, mm -hmm. I used to do counseling on, on the side and I would say, you know, matching up your skills and your interests is, is the key to finding your direction. But many people flounder and many people change their mind. Right. I like the idea of changing your mind. Um, a lot of college students don't have that luxury any longer because it's so darn expensive. Hmm. But um, that's why I will always suggest that looking at community colleges may be a good starting point because that gives an opportunity for students to dabble. 
gotcha. um, travel without it costing um, enormous. I just heard um, of it, uh, Brown University is now seventy-eight thousand dollars a year. I think it's wow. So community colleges, and again, it varies state to state. California has a very robust community college system. Um, it varies state to state, but it's usually a fraction of the cost. Um, and the other thing about most states' community colleges is they don't provide residential um, accommodations. Accommodations, oh. okay, gotcha. The next, so, the next um, question, right? So students are living at home for the most part. Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. Instead, Sean, I guess the one thing I would lead to is you know, there are, and I'm at the end of our time together, I'm going to show, or um, Brian's going to show a few links. There are programs out there across the country. I think there's about about 150 that I've researched um, that have specialized support for students on the autism spectrum. Excellent. And so when we talk about accommodations, every college has to provide accommodations. And I can mm -hmm. talk about what that looks like. Accommodations are typically going to be academic accommodations that level the playing field for an individual with a disability. Mm -hmm. What will that look like? That will be things like extended time for tests, mm -hmm. copies of class notes. So that kind of replaces the IEP, so to speak. Yes, but it's not, see, here's the key. Mm -hmm. Accommodations not, are not modifications. Not individual. Ah, gotcha. Not modifications. So That's anybody going to, to college is expected to do college work with accommodations, with the playing field being leveled. So case no, um, class notes, extended time for tests, not for assignments, um, access to assistive technology. You know, a few schools will have you know preferential uh, registration, things like that. There are a number of programs, and um, I've sent you the link that we can share, that provide specialized support for students with autism. Mm -hmm. Most of them are fee-based. Gotcha. So that being said, that mm -hmm. for fee, there are specialized support programs. So what those will do is above and beyond accommodations, they'll provide some wraparound support. Okay. All they right. provide. That being said, there are also, when I worked at, um, was the associate dean of the community college, we provided support to students for no fee. Mm -hmm. We were fortunate to have some grants that enabled us to, and along with just plain accommodations, we could provide some tutoring, some approaches, some study strategies, some test taking mm -hmm. Um, strategies, what we refer to as metacognition, um, helping students to learn how they learn. Um, so there's a lot of variety out there um, mm -hmm. and you have to look for it. The other thing I will mention, because we will talk about this at the end, there are also programs, I was involved in launching a program which was called an inclusive concurrent enrollment program. Mm -hmm. um, they're all over the country. The um, group called Think College has a great database, um, and I know I sent you the link, but this one, uh, right, this was an inclusive concurrent enrollment. This was in Massachusetts, but mm -hmm. it was specifically for students with intellectual disabilities and autism, and it was while they were in high school, and it provided robust support as well as coaching on campus on a community college to students during that 18 to 22 um, age range. Mm -hmm. So when perhaps they've finished up um, their requirements, but they are entitled to stay and re receive services till 22, this mm -hmm. model 
um, provided that. So I guess it, the, the long answer and the short question was, there's a lot of options out there. Good. Exploring Good. them is important. Um, and having those conversations, and I'd say 10th grade is not too early to start Some having those conversations. Good, good. He's in. He's in. He's a freshman at this point. So let me yep. let me ask you this then: on a scale sure. of one one to ten, how important would you say, especially in arriving at one asking themselves this question, how important is it to determine the answer to why why you would want your child to go to college? Well, you know, we we, we have a um, the advantage of inclusion. Um, you know, back when I was in high school. <laughs> Um, there was no such thing as inclusion. Um, right. You know, there was a lot of, as I say to my students, special ed classes next to the custodian's closet in the basement of the building. Um, that's changed. So inclusive practices and inclusive opportunities are part of our world. Mm -hmm. And I think that an experience, a college experience, is part of carrying that inclusive um, environment and uh, inclusive opportunities forward. Um, again, not everybody needs to go to college. Not everybody wants to go to college, but there's opportunities for those that want to. And it may just be dabbling. It yeah. may just be, and that's again, my background is community college. One of the advantages of community college is you can take one course, try it out. Mm. Yeah. Right. right. Um, that's a, that's without a lot of that's as valuable as anything else, the idea of babbling, because th that brings to mind the manner in which, you know, as a parent, you're a protector. As a special needs parent, that quotient is considerably <laughs> higher. Considerably so what, higher. Right. And what happens is when it's higher, you can master in the, the art of complication because, um, you know, like, well, this is my situation. And, and on one hand, we're going to make it okay for a neurotypical child to quote unquote dabble and find their way. But on the other hand, we're, you know, we're kind of thinking, well, we need to know exactly what he or she is going to go to school for. And that's a very valuable point that you brought up there. We should be, know that there's a, an allowance to dabble and figure out what some of those answers are. But that being said, Sean, um, there's some risk. And, mm -hmm. and risk is, is part of developmentally, it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, and I understand and um, really, really understand the, the, the reluctance, the reticence of a lot of parents to put their child at risk in mm -hmm. terms of experiences that may not work. Right. Um, so that's why, you know, a lot of the experience can be scaffolded. Um, that's sort of the approach that I always support is let's build on something. Um, if there are opportunities for, um, you know, in your state for, um, and if, again, if you look at the Think College models um, for an inclusive concurrent enrollment, it gives an opportunity while still having the protection of the high school experience to expose a student or, you know, a son or daughter to that college environment and see what, see what happens. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's very valuable because I think what we did in the past is we exposed a lot of, we did not expose a lot of individuals with special needs to anything. Right. For yeah. fear that it wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that being said, you know, there is obviously some risk involved. You know, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever failed a class. I failed a class or two. Yeah. Uh, it didn't feel good. 
but it was part of the learning experience and you learned how to access some support and use your strategies. And, you know, and many, many times, I can't tell you how many times I would have um, students come across my, my threshold in my office and say, I was on an IEP. I don't want a college IEP. I don't want that to be my identity. Um, and I would explain to them, you know, I'm not going to give out a special ed jacket. You know, you, it's really up to you. And one of the biggest takeaways, no matter what the student situation is in college, different than the K through 12, the student is driving the bus. Yeah. I, what I mean by that is the student is at the center. So a student can say, I don't want that identity. I don't want. And then midterm comes and they say, oh, gee, if only I'd had extended time and a distraction reduced environment to take that math test, I might have passed. And I say, to them, you know, let's move forward. It's not going to be retroactive, but let's build on that. Let's develop an accommodation plan that you are in charge of. And so one of the other things I want to mention um, is that, again, whether we're talking community college or we're talking to Boston University or we're talking UVM, um, where I know Brian has a child, um, it's up to the student to activate whatever accommodations are developed. So nobody is going to be tagging them and no um, office, no disability services is going to contact the faculty and say, Brian's coming, and this is his issues. That does not happen. It would be, if Brian was our student, it would be up to Brian to activate his accommodations, communicate with the faculty, and then use them. Um, and that's a huge difference. So that sort of self-advocacy, that empowerment, mm -hmm. should be part of the conversations in high school. Um, I feel very strongly that, that that's something the high school should be doing um, right. and press them on that is they should be teaching students those skills on how to sort of take charge of their lives, mm -hmm. but also yeah. take charge of their education. And, right. and I think what you're saying is we've got a, we got a comment here that somebody said, you know, the accommodations for the, from the IEP are still beneficial in a college setting. You're saying, yes, they are, but it's really up to the student to be their advocate. Right. There. And I guess Which, what I'll also comment is that it's not going to mirror the IEP. Um, the IEP may include modified curriculum. Yeah. And so that is not going to happen in a, in a um, higher ed setting. Again, there may be support models. There may be some alternative programs. Um, but so the accommodations, in some respects, they're going to look a little bit more like what a 504 plan might look like. Um, again, they are leveling the playing field. Um, so you might not get every type of service that appeared on an IEP. Mm -hmm. But again, there's some support programs out there that are very much worth exploring. And this may seem, I think uh, this, this may seem very basic, but most of, most people that are watching know that, in, you know, an IEP is an individual um, uh, education plan. Can you tell us the difference between that and the 504? Well, again, a 504 plan um, is used by high schools. And again, but it, that expires as well. The 504 plan is often used, or my experience has been for um, children or adolescents with attention deficit disorder, perhaps a visual impairment, and it's it's again it's accommodation driven. It's okay. It's 
Um, so what happens in college is, and people get confused about this, they think that the college, the high school 504 plan just follows them. No, it's a law. 504 is, is a law, part of the Rehab Act. And it basically provides equal access. Okay. So the real, you know, bottom line is access. So, and, the, and I always refer to it as, you know, that ramp into the building um, is access. Yeah, sure. There's also going to be access educationally. So mm -hmm. it could be technology. It could be using um, Kurzweil or uh, Read and Write Gold or some sort of um, reading program. It could be um, in large print. It could be we used to refer to them as books on tape. We don't even say that anymore. Um, but audiobooks, it could be having copies of class notes. If an individual um, has a hard time listening and taking notes simultaneously. Um, so those are the types of accommodations. Um, again, the, the difference from an IEP is the IEP may be a modification. It may be Brian's my student. Brian, you only have to do one, three, five, seven, and nine. Right. Um, this is my daughter just posted a couple of things there. Like I get five hours instead of two. I get to read right. aloud. Those are the kinds of accommodations. I get to have my text on a dark screen as opposed exactly. to like. So exactly. those are the kinds of accommodations. That's the kind of the access to right. um to this content to, to level the playing field a little bit. And 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 again, I think we had another comment when somebody said, Does it matter? Uh does it depend on the on the type of special, you know, special need? And that, that now, so, yeah. You know, so I mean, I can read to you what the ADA, or you can look at yourself, what the ADA says. But ADA, which actually was expanded under George W. Bush, <laughs> um, disability is any physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more life activities, such as, and they expanded this, caring for themselves, performing manual tasks, walking, seeing, hearing, speaking, breathing, learning or working and substantially limits. And so that's one of the, in terms of the process, what, um, and again, your daughter might um, be able to sort of chime in on this. The process is at a college university is they're gonna wanna look at documentation. Mm. So questions I'm always asking is, so I'm gonna bring my IEP and that's gonna be it, right? That's good. And the answer is no, the IEP is supplementary. What the college or university is gonna be asking for is the source documents. The evaluations, the testing that got you your IEP. And the also the thing the college is going to look be looking for is recent. And this varies a lot. Usually it's three years. So it's usually that evaluation that occurred probably 10th or 11th grade. Mm -hmm. um, the reevaluation of the IEP. So what the college or university wants to look at is what's happening now. How does your disability impact you in a learning environment now? Not when you were in eighth grade, not when you were um, in elementary school. So the documentation and every college university should, um, by law, have something on their website that explains the process, how to document. The other thing I should mention, this doesn't go to anybody else at the college university. It does not go to admissions. It does not go to faculty. And nobody else is privy to this. It's kept highly confidential, and it's only reviewed by the disability office. Which mm. has one. They might call themselves different things, but I guess what I'm saying is the ADA is what sort of controls what happens. 
And, it, and so the types of disabilities that I saw in my 27 years, learning mm -hmm. disabilities, attention deficit disorder, intellectual disabilities, cognitive disabilities, autism spectrum, certainly, um, psychiatric disabilities, health-related disabilities, mobility, sensory. Um, so it's a very, very, the, the, the net is cast very wide. Let me let me ask this question. Good. Some, I mean, obviously every college is a little bit different. And and again, I, I love that we're getting great. So we're getting a lot of comments. I love that we're getting comments about this. So this is fantastic. Here in California, CSUN, so I'm gonna share this one, this one comment. So CSUN is historically been incredibly um, uh, accessible for for students with uh, with special needs or, or or some kind of disabilities, right? CSUN, in particular, CSUN? Uh, California, Cal State University in Northridge. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> CSUN, yeah, California State, part of the California State um, uh, system of, of schools, and and CSUN has had, has historically uh, accommodated uh, children, students with with uh, special needs issues, almost more so, I think, than almost any college here. It seems to me from an observer's perspective. And I went to UCLA, so a different university system here in California. Um, and in this particular case, you know, our, our listener is saying, you know, his IEP actually included accommodations. Is it true that every college has a different, because of their is it a disability office, or does every college have a different um, approach to how they do this, to how they do the accommodations? And, and are there some that are just better than others that provide the support? Great question. And I, I Families always ask me, what are the best schools for me to send my, my son or daughter? Right. I'm, I'm responding to this um, uh, viewer because yeah. they're saying that their, their daughter's deaf. Um, so the answer to it is the services are only good as good as the disability services office are. But there is, you know, sort of um, what I always saw, sort of a culture, um, a culture of inclusion. That being said, there are bare minimums, and that's where you know they must provide accommodations to students who qualify mm -hmm. under the ATA. Many schools can provide more than that. It's not required by law. So those support programs that I referred to, and again, some of them are fee-based, some of them are delivered, you know, like I say, I was able to deliver them free um, to students. That will vary. Um, which college or university is right based on the disability, a lot of that is really checking them out, um, asking some questions. Um, they may not be able to tell you specifically what your son or daughter will receive because they haven't received the documentation as mm. yet. You're shopping. Um, I will say to that listener, a student that's deaf, there are absolutely positively minimum accommodations. Um, and that would be if it's a, somebody who needs a sign language interpreter or they use CART system, um, that will be provided. I have students that have used um, the mic system. Um, there's all sorts of accommodations that will be delivered and it must be delivered by the university at their expense. Mm, okay, so it's- you it know, so like, we're talking about, you know, somebody who's deaf, somebody who's um, vi visually impaired or hard of hearing or has a mobility disability, the mm -hmm. the institution must be accessible. Okay. Where it gets a little bit more, um, there's more variation is disabilities that, you know, may require different things. Um, and that's really going to depend. So one of the things I often advise families is start shopping it out. 
Mm, okay. And it's, it's, a, it's a website. Is the website welcoming? Now, the other thing I'm going to say, um, and there's a lot of controversy around this, is what do they call themselves? Now, I was the administrator in charge. Again, we serviced a thousand students out of a 10,000 student body. So that was one tenth of the, of the students. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I'd say 90% of my students had what I would call um, invisible disabilities. Um, a smaller number had mobility or visual or um, hearing. And I called my office, and it's still called that even after I retired, Disability <laughs> Support Services. There's a school of thought out there of people that say, oh, I hate that word. It's so stigmatizing. <laughs> um, we're going to call ourselves the Access Center. Great term. Or we're going to call ourselves the Accommodation Center or Learning Accommodation Center. They're all great words. Personally, for me, I wanted to be what was most Googleable. If you're shopping out and you're checking out universities and colleges in your state or across the country, mm. you want to be able to hop on the website and find that office pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Some of the problems I found that if you type in learning accommodations, you may not, it might take several clicks to get to the right place. That being said, you know, the climate, the philosophy, what they put up on the website, how transparent the process is. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I will say, just you know, not to not to bring in, you know, sort of the, the legal beagles in this, but when a college or university does not comply with the law, they are subject to a complaint. And usually that works through the system, but the last stop is the Office of Civil Rights. Mm. There's some great case law out there. Um, the one that, that always um, I always refer to is that my alma mater, with Boston University, was sued by a student. Um, the student had a learning disability and was requesting an accommodation for a foreign language requirement, which is a reasonable accommodation given mm. to processing issues. The provost at the time, he's just recently passed away, and the president of Boston University, who was a presidential candidate once, um, John Silber, denied it. It's called the Guckenberg case. Denied it. Said, we don't really believe in learning disabilities. They even used the L word. They said, yeah, she just may be lazy. What year is this? Wow. Oh, this is a ways back, uh, probably 20 years ago. Um, they got sued. Wow. They lost. They went down in flames. Because basically the institution, the university was denying equal access to somebody who qualified under the ADA. Mm -hmm. wow. So that's where this stuff gets tested all the time, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, because some college universities, you know, things, accommodations cost money. Um, so yeah. they try to sidestep them. You know, your, your caller, um, your, your viewer whose um, son or daughter is deaf, um, the cost of sign language interpreters is, is very high. Mm. Uh, they make uh, 50, 60 bucks an hour. And wow. if it's a two hour lecture, you need three, um, two, at least two to three um, interpreters to relieve each other. Um, wow. That costs the institution a lot of money. It's required. So it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like based on, and I cut you off earlier, Brian, with my last question, <laughs> apologize, but it sounds like, you know, as Brian was saying, it, it's fair to say that 
you know, whether or, whether or not um, you're going to get some accommodations from the IEP depends on your situation. There's the letter of the law, generally speaking, but much like everything else that we've talked about, you've got some trial and error and you've got some work to do to find out what sticks, what works, what doesn't work. And that goes back to what you said, what you said. (laughs) Thank you for the energy. That that goes back to um, what you said earlier, which is that ninth grade is not too, uh, 10th grade is not too early, which is why ninth probably is not too early, too early to at least begin uh, something um, in terms of figuring out what the map is going to be. And, and then it also sounds like what you're saying is essentially institutions of higher learning have to decide where they want to spend their money in litigation or accommodation. Yeah, no. And, and the other great thing is that I'm a member of an organization. There's some national best practices that most colleges and universities subscribe to. So the organization, I didn't send you this link, is um, AHEAD, A-H-E-A-D. Um, and it's Association of uh, Higher Ed Disability, but it's a national organization and they um, have listservs and conferences, but one of the great things about AHEAD is they set some guidelines. Yes, each institution can develop their own policies and can Mm. develop their own process. Mm. There are some generally accepted best practices and colleges and universities, it behooves them not to, to um, you know, respond to that and not to um, develop processes that are um, com- consistent because the college and university doesn't want to expose themselves. Plus, they want to be welcoming. Um, you know, I think one of the things we're seeing is that college and universities, especially these days, many of them are struggling um, for enrollments, many of them. And so by creating some models that, you know, everybody talks about diversity. (laughs) It's talked about a lot. And one of the things I say often is let's talk about the big D in diversity. Um, Certainly racial, ethnic um, diversity is a priority, but let's put disability in that group. Um, And that college and universities need to be striving to be creating a welcoming, inclusive environment for all students. In your estimation, in your estimation, why do you think enrollment is down overall? Oh, demographics, purely. Uh, I mean, pandemic aside, economy aside, (laughs) um, there's fewer college age kids in 2021. Interesting. A, a dip in, in the population. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Harvard and, and, you know, Brown, they're not struggling. Um, but many of the smaller liberal arts colleges, mm-hmm. many of the community colleges, um, yeah, they're struggling for enrollments. That's so, fascinating. That's fascinating. To, you know, create models that are going to attract students. I did a podcast on this other site, um, which I gave Brian, the Stairway to STEM, which I'll talk about when we have time, um, about with um, a colleague, Dr. Enlick, and we talked about what colleges and universities could be doing to be more autism friendly. Let's go, what, ahead, go, let's go ahead and talk about this. We still have okay. a, a, a little bit of time and we want yeah, let, to. All right. So I have a bunch of resources that, that I've shared. So Stairway to STEM is a great project that I'm very fortunate to be part of. It was a National Science Foundation grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was awarded actually to filmmakers 
here in Massachusetts. Mm. Um, and it is a, a website, very, very, very robust website that was developed to support individuals on the autism spe spectrum pursuing STEM careers. STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, so the I'm on the editorial board. Most of the contributors are former students, individuals who identify as autistic. Mm -hmm. um, some are PhD candidates. Some are recent college graduates. Um, I have a few interviews on there. I have a, couple, a podcast on there. But a lot of it is resources and strategies on how to navigate college. And I'll say this. Though it was developed for the autism community, so much of um, the content is, you could generalize to many, many other populations. Um, so it's a wonderful resource and um, we keep adding to it. We're waiting for some new grant funding, um, but it's a great resource. Um, can I mention a couple of the other resources that I um, yes, do? Um, I just need to. So the other one I want to mention is, I mentioned Think College. And Think College it has a listing on nationwide programs which provide college and support models for students with intellectual disabilities. That's sort of their focus. Mm -hmm. um, another I want to mention is my colleague, Dr. Eric Enlick, and his, uh, um, agent, uh, his work is Top College Consultants. And one of the things that um, Eric has on his website is a list, a national list of college models which have support programs for individuals on the autism spectrum. That's fantastic. Um, pretty robust. Um, and the last person I'm going to mention is um, Elizabeth Hamlet site, which is LD Advisory. Um, yes. And she has a podcast, a website, a book, a Facebook group. Um, and her focus is on similar things that I've been talking about, um, particularly for students with learning disabilities and attention deficit disorder. Um, yeah. So those are colleagues of mine that I, we share, we collaborate, and I, I wanted to give them some mention as well as provide those resources to your we're audience. Gonna, we'll have them, we're gonna put them in the chat here for people to see, and we're gonna post these on our website as well, just Excellent. for others to, uh, to be able to access. This is valuable, such valuable information. So glad that we're doing this. Um, and I love this new technology that I can just add it onto the screen as you've given it to us. So it's, it's so fantastic. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, we're, we're just about close on our, on our time. Um, Susan, I, you know, Sean and I say this every week and it's no different every week. We're like, oh my God, like there's so many questions that we can ask you. And there's this conversation could go so much longer. I mean, I think you've, you've given a great insight into, you know, some of those the challenges that parents in, in, in Sean's case, you know, that, that parents are think parents are thinking about for their children, the options that they're looking at, and then not really knowing where to go. A lot of the stuff that you were discussing, I, as a, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, pretty neurotypical and I, I, I did pretty well in school and I got my MBA, but I struggled in school with some of these same issues, socialization and stuff that we didn't really get a chance to talk much about. And, you know, living accommodations and, you know, changing your, changing your, changing your degree, your focus, where do you go? Is community college a better choice to begin with than launching into a university experience? And so I think what you've talked about are, are, are issues that a lot of families deal with, you know, with their neurotypical children as well. And it seems to be exacerbated with children with special needs because we often don't know where their strengths are and what's going to be the thing that lights them up and give them the chances to succeed. So I, I thank you so much for the time that you've Share with us, and I think we're going to be in communication on a more regular basis. Yeah. Sure. Can I mention four things? 
<laughs> please do. Please do. Mention five if you wish. Four <laughs> recommendations for families whose kids are in high school. Um, and these, they're not easy. Um, developing self-advocacy skills is really important. And these are the things that I think that they should be pushing their high school to start working on. Yeah. Um, the more a student knows why they were on an IEP, <laughs> what did it do for them? What did it not do for them? Um, the better. When a student comes in and has no idea, that's going to be hard. Um, a bit about how to communicate their strengths, articulating it. I'm a big fan of rehearsing this, uh, practicing it. Um, again, as I said before, be part of the IEP process. Um, even though that's sometimes a very difficult meeting for a lot of students, um, I think the more that they can understand this is why people are talking about me around a table and what it does for me. Um, and then as much as possible, again, you know, might be pressing the high school to work on things like time management, note-taking, test-taking. Um, if these are the skills that you're going to expect a student to have, um, work on them and also make sure you don't leave high school without updated testing. Without? Updated testing. Don't mm -hmm. let them off the hook. And they say, oh, he's not gonna go to college. You don't need a new evaluation. Demand it. <laughs> I'm not a, a lot of high school people don't, you know, are not big fans of me because that's expensive. But I mm -hmm. think that it's your right, it's your son or daughter's right to have an assessment before they leave. Yeah. So those are my four takeaways. That's awesome. Wow. That's, that's, that's great. Great, great input. Phenomenal. Yeah. Well, Susan, yeah. we put your website up here as well for people Thank to you. see. And for those that are listening, it's SusanBWoods.com. Um, uh, it's so valuable, such great information. And uh, as a, again, as a parent in this, in this community, uh, so grateful that we have advocates and warriors such as yourselves out there. Um, providing information and access to resources and, you know, just and, and helping us be advocates for our children. So thank you so much for spending the time with us. This has been, this has been amazing. Uh, and again, completely, uh, <laughs> it's been an amazing experience. So thank you. Thank um, you. I will say, uh, as we, as we get ready to sign off here for everybody listening, thank you so much. You know, you can catch us on, on Facebook and Instagram and, uh, Apple podcasts and, and Spotify and Google podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're on so many platforms now. Please share this information. If you know a special needs uh, family that have, have children that are getting ready to transition from, you know, even from middle school to high school and then start thinking about transitioning from high school to college, please access uh, the resources that Susan provided. Uh, there are so many. Uh, please reach out to us if there's anything that we can do to to help point you in the right direction. We are, our next technological growth uh, expansion uh, plan for the for the program is to have a website with all of these links available to everybody. So be looking for that folks, that's gonna come fairly soon. And um, I think I, I'm so grateful for my for my children because I think the one thing that we learn as parents is we learn so much from our children. So so I have I have children all, you know, all along. My oldest daughter, Jordan, who's, who's thriving is, is taking community college classes now. Uh, college was not a thing for her. Uh, my 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 middle daughter, uh, my middle child, my daughter Gabby is graduating. She's a senior at University of Vermont in Burlington, and then I have a 13-year-old who is transitioning to high school. And so we're in this, we're actively in this conversation at every stretch of the way here. So this has been incredibly valuable for 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 me. So I thank you um, so so much, and I thank you, Sean Hall, for for the backup and the support, and everybody who's listened in and commented today. Thank you for that. 
Sean, Francis, as always, my good friend, thank you so much for your partnership. And um, I love what we're doing. And I think the thing that this more than anything, right? Uh, or I should say in line with everything that we always talk about, it's all about empathy and love and making sure that people know that uh, that this would, the folks like Susan who participate, if she's retired, everybody just, you know, she doesn't have to do the work that she does. She does it because she has a massive heart and uh, and she cares. And it's more needed almost more today than any other time. Empathy and love is what we need to keep this world spinning around on its axis and, and, and progressing. Sean, you want to sign us off for, for the day? Yes, I do. And, um, you know, this has been, I've been, I've enjoyed every single guest that we've had on here. I, I you know, but uh, my perspective, just because of where we are as parents with Elijah's age, uh, I've been more greedy with this interview or showcase, if you will, than any that we've ever had before. And I still have more questions and we'll continue to come back to you, Susan. And uh, we'll make sure that we have you back as well. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And as Brian was mentioning, if you're, if, if for those of you that are listening to us and don't have the visual, whatever that platform is, uh, make sure that you go to our YouTube page so that you'll see where um, the links and everything are uh, when, um, when this episode is uh, uploaded uh, there later this week. And to everyone that has been uh, tuning in, our audience in um, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, where I am from, um, thank you so much. Um, and to my women in my life, my mom and my wife, Laura, I would not be who I am or strive to even be without you. And uh, so thank you very much. And for everybody listening, just remember that somebody someplace needs to know that you care. Somebody someplace needs to know that uh, that they matter and they need to uh, know that they are seen, whether you agree with them or not. So with that said, um, if you're listening, we love you. Thank you so very much. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Awesome. Bye, everybody. Thank you.